Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron and I am one of your hosts. There is one other host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hey guys. Now real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 73 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 83 extra hours of listening pleasure. To see the full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There, you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Satan's Enigma and the Codex Gigas. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressured to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoots, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, Underground Lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Ammon's Haunting. So how this episode will go today is that we will go into the backstory of the family and the home as well, and then go into the strange facts and findings, the theories, and then, of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with all that being said, let's get into today's episode. In 2011, one of the most mysterious and well-documented demonic possessions in the United States history occurred. Local police and a Child Protective Services worker started investigating weird reports that were coming from a home in Gary, Indiana. Reports of children being thrown across the home and possessing supernatural powers such as being able to walk up walls backwards. Initially, the caseworker and police were skeptical. However, that quickly went away when this entity started affecting them and everyone who came into this home. This is the Ammons Haunting. All right. Now, before we get into this story, I just wanted to say real quick, everybody's probably wondering where Hans is at. He has COVID. Seriously, he's got COVID. You can shoot him a message on Instagram. And he is feeling like complete crap. So if you want to, send him the best wishes his way. Hopefully he's in a speedy recovery and he'll be here next week. So that's just a quick update. All right. 
So before we start this story, I just want to state that what you are about to hear really happened. This story is backed up from multiple police, hospital, and child services reports. So keep that in mind as we go forward. All right. So Dan, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. So this story all starts back in November of 2011. A young woman named Latoya Ammons and her three children, which were 7, 9, and 12 at the time, and Latoya's mother Rosa, all moved into a new home together. This home was located in Gary, Indiana. It was a single-story home with three bedrooms, one bathroom, hardwood floors, an enclosed front porch, and a small, open-style kitchen. There was a door in the open-style kitchen that led to the basement. Now, just a little FYI, this basement floor has a dirt floor with some areas that originally have concrete but have been broken up and left there. So just keep that in mind as we go forward. So just a little background real quick on that home that LaToya moved into. The house was originally built in 1926 and was first occupied by a newlywed couple that had lived there their entire life. Once that couple passed away, the house was sold, remodeled, and used as a rental property. Then in 2004, an individual named Charles Reed purchased the home and continued to rent it out. Since 2004, Charles had multiple tenants until where we are at now with the story, which is 2011, when LaToya moved in. So initially after moving in, LaToya, her kids, and her mother Rosa all loved the home. They decorated it and turned it into their own. However, things quickly changed. In December of 2011, only one month after moving in, the family noticed something strange occurring in the home. A high number of black flies began buzzing and flying all around the house. LaToya decided to call her landlord and ask him to come check out the issue. Charles came over that same day and took a look around. He noticed that a large concentration of these flies were on the small front porch area. Now this was extremely odd because it was winter at this time and flies were known to not fly around during this time of the year. They just kind of hunker down and preserve heat. So Charles was like, huh, that's really odd. Yeah. The landlord had an exterminator come to the home and get rid of the flies. However, only a few days later, Latoya and her family noticed that the flies have come back again. This time, they were more intense. The flies would swarm in thick black clouds and get in everywhere. So Rosa, the grandmother, went and spoke with the neighbors to see if they were having the issues with flies as well. All of the neighbors were like, eh, we ain't having any issues with flies. Now, Rosa was quoted telling one of them, and I quote, this is not normal. We killed them and killed them and killed them, but they kept coming back. Sadly, the plague of flies would turn out to be the least of their worries. Around a month later, January of 2012, when the family would lay down to go to sleep, they would begin hearing heavy thud footsteps coming from the stairs of the basement. At the same time, they would hear the door in the kitchen that leads to the basement open even when it was locked. This wasn't the only thing that began to happen. When the family woke up in the morning, they started to notice wet marks on the floor 
that were in the shape of boots, as if someone had walked up from the basement, soaking wet, and walked around in the kitchen. Only a week after this started occurring, the family started to experience numerous cases of poltergeist activity in the home. The doors started slamming shut, objects would randomly move across the room, and religious items were being found smashed to pieces. Around this same time, the grandmother, Rosa, was, of course, initially skeptical of this. She thought that maybe one of her grandchildren was doing it for attention. However, that was until she saw a dark figure lurking in the living room, which quickly vanished only a few moments later. This paranormal activity steadily grew more and more intense as the days passed. Initially, the grandmother, Rosa, seemed like she was being the only one targeted. She started being pushed and poked by an unseen force in the home, and on one occasion she was viciously choked by invisible hands. Now, whatever was attacking Rosa seemed to start attacking the kids as well. In February of 2012, the older son, who was nine years old, was sitting in the living room watching TV. He was picked up in midair and thrown clear across the room as if he were a rag doll. And just to FYI, there was nothing there in that living room with him. He just levitated right up and then flew across the room. Now, that occurrence wasn't the only one. Only a few days later, the youngest son, who was seven, was in the bathroom brushing his teeth, and something picked him up in midair and threw him across the bathroom. Then only a few days later, the exact same thing would happen to Latoya's daughter, who was 12 years old. She came crying to her mom and said that she was picked up and thrown by, and I quote, dark shadows. Unfortunately, that wouldn't be the last thing that happened to the 12-year-old daughter. Less than a month later, on March 10, 2012, Latoya was awoken at 2 a.m. from strange sounds coming from her daughter's bedroom. Latoya decided to go check on her and opened her daughter's bedroom door and stood there in shock. Her 12-year-old daughter was floating above her bed. Latoya screamed out for her mother, Rosa. Rosa ran into the hallway along with the two boys, and they were all shocked as what they were witnessing as well. Rosa then suggested that they all gather around the girl and pray, which they did. Only a few moments later, the girl descended back to her bed, and she awoke with no memory of what had just happened. Now, another little quick note here. The daughter had her cousin over and some other family members over as well that were visiting, and they had spent the night. Well, after they witnessed, you know, their cousin floating in midair, their cousins were like, boop, see ya. They deuced out. Yeah, they left. Shit, I would. Yeah, I don't blame them. Hell yeah. That shit's scary. All right. So what happens next? After this rather terrifying event, the family had issues falling asleep in the home. This led to them sleeping the majority of the day and staying up at night. Because of this, the children started to miss school a lot. The more the family started getting into the habit of staying up at night and sleeping all day, they started to notice that the children started to exhibit a lot of strange behaviors and outbursts. 
Latoya and her mother noticed that on random occasions, the children's eyes would bulge or roll back into their heads, and they would hiss, snarl, and bark like animals. They would also speak in demonic voices and say things such as, I will kill you, or it's time to die. So during these episodes, the children would attack each other or their mother or grandmother. They would have to be restrained in which during that time, they would still speak in demonic voices. Latoya said that eventually the children would pass out and wake up a few hours later with no memory of what just occurred. Needless to say, Latoya and her mother Rosa, they had enough of this. They were like, enough of this bullshit. I'm tired of it. So they decided to reach out to nearby churches to see if they could get any guidance on how to like deal with this. Majority of the churches that they reached out to, eh, they didn't even call them back. They're like, we don't want any part of this. Finally, though, one of the churches did end up reaching back out to Rosa and decided to listen to her. After she told them what was happening in her home, they decided to send a priest to help her. The priest of the church arrived the next day, and when he was walking around the home, a wide variety of paranormal occurrences were witnessed by not only the priest, but Latoya and Rosa. Now, the children, when they saw the priest, they instantly went into their demonic-like possessions. Lights started flickering in the home, random objects started moving and shaking, and a bottle started levitating across the room. The priest for the church left the home. He was like, see you guys later, that's enough for me. And uh, he reported what he had just witnessed to his church. The church then called Rosa and recommended that she clean the home with bleach and ammonia. After that was finished, the church then told her to get olive oil and draw crosses on every door and window of the home. After Rosa had done that, the church then said that the final thing that she needed to do was to pour the olive oil on her grandchildren's hands and feet and then use the oil again to draw a cross on their foreheads. Rosa, of course, did this and was initially hopeful that this may have caused whatever it was that was haunting them to go away. However, mysterious and odd things continued to happen. Desperate for help, Latoya and Rosa decided to contact psychics for any explanations as to what was going on in their home. The psychics told them that there were over 200 demons living in the house and that they should move. God damn, 200? That's like a covenant there. Yeah, I know. I need to get out of there. So Latoya told them, hey, you know, we just moved here. I'm a single mom. I can't afford to move right now. So what do I do? Well, the psychics recommended that she saged the entire house. Another thing that the psychics told Latoya to do was to build an altar in the basement of their house, which... I kind of thought an altar was the opposite. I thought an altar was used to summon demons, not to get them to go away. But hey, whatever. You know, I'm not an occult expert. Yeah, I think it's both ways because you can build an altar to like pray and stuff too. Oh, yeah. Before Leonardo DiCaprio won his Oscar, I built an altar for him and he ended up uh, winning. Oh, yeah. I remember that. So, hey, might have worked. You're welcome, Leonardo. Do you think that worked, or do you think you actually summoned a demon and made a deal? Don't put that on me. Don't put that on me. Anyways, tell us how she built this altar. 
Alright, so LaToya decided to do that. So she took a small table to the basement, placed a white sheet over it with a white candle on top, a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, alongside a Bible that was open displaying Psalms 91. And just a little knowledge nugget here, if you don't know what Psalms 91 says, well, here you go. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Those are the first two verses, but you pretty much get the drift of what it says in that chapter based on those. Thank you, Father Daniel. May thee be blessed. All right, so... (laughs) uh, So... Oh, sorry. I thought I saw something to the right of me. That was scary. Um, by the way, just a little side note. I'm doing this episode in the same place that I recorded Zozo in, which... We will refer to as Demon Z. Demon Z, sorry. Um, and a lot of weird things happen when I recorded that episode, which is a Patreon-exclusive episode. And this is me not selling you on it. This is me telling you because I'm in the same place recording this episode. And I keep seeing something out of the corner of my eye. So I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. Oh, you might see the light reflecting off my camera that I have in there. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. All right. So for three days after that altar was built in the basement and the sage was burned around the house, everything was completely quiet and normal. There was no more paranormal activity. However, just like the last time, it didn't last for long. On the fourth day, strange things started occurring again. The seven-year-old boy walked into his pitch-dark closet, sat down, and began talking to an invisible boy. Oh my god. Oof. That same day, the nine-year-old boy went to his mother and told her that he had been killed, describing the occurrence in accurate detail. The twelve-year-old daughter then went to her mother and told her that voices were telling her that she would never see her family again. Now, around this time is when LaToya said that she started to get possessed as well by whatever was in the home. She stated that her body started to feel weak and warm at the same time and that she shook and felt out of control. Now, because of this, on April 19th, 2012, LaToya and Rosa decided to contact a family doctor named Dr. Joffrey. Now, this doctor has a very complicated last name that starts with an O. We tried to look up the pronunciation for it, and we didn't want to completely destroy the name. So we just decided to call him Dr. Joffrey, all right? So LaToya and Rosa told Dr. Joffrey what was occurring, and he agreed to come and visit the family at their home. Once the doctor arrived at the home, he started examining the children. Immediately, both of LaToya's sons started screaming obscenities at the doctor in demonic voices. The youngest boy was then randomly lifted up and thrown into the wall, all while nobody was touching him. Jesus. All right. So both of the boys lost consciousness, and 911 was called. Around seven police officers and multiple ambulances responded to that call. You think that's enough? Jesus. So the boys were then taken to the Methodist Hospital in Gary, Indiana. Once there, the hospital questioned Dr. Joffrey, who had told them that the family had delusions of a ghost in the home and that they were hallucinating. However, 
He did note that he saw one of the boys randomly being tossed across the room while no one touched him, as if someone had picked him up and done it. Yeah, right. He probably did that. Yeah, he probably did it himself. Oh, they're hallucinating. So eventually, the nine-year-old boy awoke in the hospital and was acting pretty much normal. However, only a few moments later, the seven-year-old boy, who was his brother, he awoke, and he was not normal. He was screaming, flailing his arms, and just acting a fool. The hospital staff had to come over and restrain his ass. Damn. Because of all of this strangeness occurring, the hospital reported LaToya and her mother Rosa to the Indiana Department of Child Services, a.k.a. CPS. The hospital told the Department of Child Services that they suspect LaToya or her mother Rosa were possibly abusing the children or neglecting them, as well as LaToya was possibly suffering from a mental illness and that the children were performing for their mother, either for attention or under her direction. On that same day, the Indiana Department of Child Services assigned initial investigator Valerie Washington to the case. Valerie reviewed the hospital reports of the children, which stated that all of them were healthy and free of marks or bruises. There was also a report from a hospital psychiatrist who evaluated LaToya that same day as well. This hospital psychiatrist stated that LaToya was, and I quote, sound of mind, which I guess means that she was... She was good. Not mental? Yeah. Okay. Cool. After reviewing those files, Valerie decided to go interview the family. She gathered the nine-year-old boy and the seven-year-old boy and the grandmother Rosa in a room together. Before she could ask them any questions, the seven-year-old boy's eyes rolled back in his head and he began growling. He grabbed his older brother's throat and started choking him. Valerie ran and got some medical staff there at the hospital who separated the two boys. After things calmed down and the seven-year-old stopped growling, Valerie decided to go back into the room, except this time she brought a nurse with her named Willie Lee Walker. Now, Valerie wanted to try and interview them again. But as soon as she entered the room, the seven-year-old boy started growling at her again. He looked at his older brother, who was holding his grandmother's hand, and said to him, in a demonic voice, it's time to die. I will kill you. At that same time, the nine-year-old brother started smiling at his younger brother and began walking backwards while holding his grandmother's hand. As he walked backwards, he kept staring at his brother. Instead of him stopping at the wall, he kept walking, slowly taking steps up the wall backwards while still holding his grandmother's hand. Dude, that's nuts. That's what I very first heard about this case was that occurrence, and I almost couldn't believe it. But it's in an actual police report. Yeah. And the nurse reported on it, and the CPS person reported on it, and the police reported on it. That this kid walked backwards up a wall and up on the ceiling. Like Spider-Man, except demonically possessed. It's nuts. So, of course, Valerie and the nurse were in that room, and they just stood there in shock like everyone else would probably do as well. Now, the boy eventually walked backwards all the way to the ceiling and then flipped off the wall over his grandmother and landed directly in front of her on his feet 
and then sat down in a chair, all while never letting go of her hand. And by the way, Valerie and the nurse stated that the grandmother had like no reaction to this, almost as if she had seen it before. So just something to keep in mind. So we sit here and think he's walking backwards. She's holding his hand. Doesn't that mean like her shoulders like going all the way back and she's just acting like it's normal? Yeah, she's like, I'm just fed up with this demonic possession shit. I'm just fed up with these demons. Here they go, controlling my grandchildren. That's what it seems like to me. So, Valerie and the nurse ran out of the room in terror at what they had just witnessed. A doctor in the hospital heard about what had happened and did not believe it. He walked into the room and asked the boy to walk up the wall again, but the boy had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? walk up the wall. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do the roar. Do the roar. <laughs> so eventually LaToya and her children, except the seven-year-old, were all released from the hospital. The seven-year-old remained in the hospital under observation as LaToya left and took the other children to stay at a relative's house. Now, something else worth mentioning was that same day, Word of the nine-year-old boy walking up the walls in the hospital and being possessed started to make it around. The hospital chaplain named David Novell heard about this and decided to call Reverend Michael, who was a priest at St. Stephen in Merrillville, Indiana. The hospital chaplain told Reverend Michael what had happened and asked for him to perform an exorcism on a nine-year-old boy. The reverend told David that he would look into it and ask for the child's address. So keep this in mind as well as we go forward. All right, so the next day, Valerie, a.k.a. the CPS worker, she turned in her report to the Indiana Department of Child Services. Her report stated that the boy's behavior was a result of mental illness. However, she also stated that there was, and I quote, an evil influence at work. Now, that same day, the Department of Child Services went and took emergency custody of the children without a court order, citing that all the children were, and I quote, experiencing spiritual and emotional distress. So, y'all remember that reverend that was called by the hospital chaplain a few days earlier? Yep. Well, the following day after CPS took the children, the reverend showed up at the house the Reverend then interviewed LaToya and Rosa for several hours. During the course of the interview, LaToya pointed out to the Reverend how the light bulb was flickering and that each time he approached it, the flickering stopped. LaToya also pointed out that the blinds in the kitchen were moving without any airflow, and when the Reverend went to look at them up close, he saw wet footprints throughout the living room. At that moment, LaToya began to complain of a headache in which the reverend walked up to her, took out his crucifix, and pushed it up against her head. And when he did that, LaToya immediately began convulsing until he removed it, and then she stopped. The reverend told the family was being tormented by demons. He also said that LaToya was possessed, that her house had become cursed as a result of someone placing a hex on her and perhaps occult practices had taken place in that house before and that had opened a portal. Damn, he went straight to, straight to extreme. Right? Look, somebody placed a hex, a curse on your ass, and maybe some occult 
opened up a portal to hell in your house. Wouldn't like a hex there have to be like something inside the house to target her? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I was thinking more like a voodoo spell. Oh, no, I was watching one of the Conjuring movies. Yeah, one of the that one where they had something in the basement, right? Yeah, it's like in the crawl space. There was like a little hex thingy. Yeah, that was targeting. I don't know. I need to brush up on my occult knowledge. Pull out the black robe. I got you. <laughs> All right. Um. So after the reverend told her, "Hey, you got a portal maybe in your house. You got maybe somebody cursing you. But regardless, you got some shit going on here. You got some demons up in this bitch." The reverend decided to start blessing the house. He walked around, said some prayers, and threw some holy water around. Once he was finished, he advised Latoya and her mother, hey, you guys need to leave the home immediately. You don't need to stay here any longer. So Latoya and Rosa left and moved in with some relatives. Yeah, so several days later, Valerie Washington, a.k.a. the CPS worker, along with two police officers, met with Latoya and Rosa at the front of the house. Valerie and Rosa walked with two police officers into the home. As the police investigated the home, Rosa told them that demons seemed to come from beneath the stairs. The police really didn't pay attention to her and continued walking and taking notes of the home and its condition. During their investigation, one of the officer's digital recorders automatically went from full power to nothing, zero even though he had placed fresh batteries into it earlier that day. The other police officer made sure that his recorder was still running and continued on. Together, they went downstairs to the basement and noticed the altar that was set up by LaToya. The police officers took a few pictures and then walked up the stairs and were about to enter back into the kitchen, but decided to turn around one last time and take a picture of the basement stairs. The police concluded their investigation and left. On the route back to the police station, one of the officers reported through his radio that his police vehicle began to malfunction. Later that day, when that same police officer went home, he noticed that his garage door would not open. He also noticed that the seat in his vehicle began moving on its own. You'll notice that throughout this story is that Everybody who starts to have contact with this house starts having weird things happen to them. It's very strange. So that following day, both of those officers that were at the house the previous day, well, they started reviewing the digital recorder that they had captured at LaToya's home. So both officers became confused when the recorder seemed to have picked up a voice whispering, hey, as well as, you out of here. So we do have a short little clip of what that sounds like. Uh, isn't that what that is? Or what is it? Just of the hay. I couldn't find the you out of here. Okay. Very short, like two, three second clip of it. Okay, so yeah. So like Dan said, we have the clip of the hay. So we're going to listen to that right now. That's almost like an ASMR hay. Hey. Yeah. It was like right when you heard like the camera take a picture too. It's like, <sighs> yeah, that's weird. Now, just a little side note too. Uh, the police officers were in the basement when their digital recorder picked up this hay and they were completely alone. It was just them two in the basement at that time. So there was no one else around. And it kind of reminds me of when 
I was recording, what, like a year ago? Oh, yeah. And I freaked out because I heard somebody come up to my ear and whisper, uh-huh, and it freaked me the fuck out. And you guys didn't hear it, but my audio recorder picked it up on my computer. Yeah, I remember you freaking out. And I have an audio clip of that. I think it's posted on Patreon somewhere. I don't know. I got to find it. But yeah, that freaked me out. Anyways, uh, so what the police officers do? Well, the officers thought this was extremely odd and decided to review the photographs that they took while at the home. They noticed that the photograph they took of the basement stairs had something odd in it. They enlarged the photo and noticed that there is a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner that looks very similar to a face peeking around the corner. Also, there is a green figure in the form of a female in the left corner as well. Now, we did try to find this photo, but they never released it. So, yeah, if you come across it somehow, just uh, shoot us an email with it and we'd be in your debt. The legit photo, not someone, not one that someone photoshopped. Yeah. And the actual photo itself. Because of that weird voice on the recorder and the photograph, the police started believing that maybe the home was actually haunted. Now, even though they believed it was haunted, and Valerie, who was the CPS worker, believed that there was something else that was causing these occurrences in the home, the Department of Child Services thought it was all bullshit and they didn't believe them. In April of 2012, the Indiana Department of Child Services petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of Latoya's three children. The court reviewed the case, and it was uncovered that in 2009 that Latoya had failed to take her children to school for a little while and, at that time, was visited by child services. So the combination of the past 2009 incident and her children currently not going to school, even though Latoya explained to them that they were being haunted by spirits, the court granted the state temporary wardship of the children. Child services temporarily placed the 12-year-old daughter and the 9-year-old son in St. Joseph's home in East Chicago. Now, at this St. Joseph's home, a psychologist examined the children. According to this psychologist, the daughter claimed to see shadowy figures in the home and had twice gone into a trance. The older son claimed that, and I quote, doors would slam and stuff would start moving around. Now, Latoya's youngest son was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for psychiatric evaluation. At Christian Haven, a clinical psychologist was reaching the same conclusions. The psychologist stated that the boy was generally coherent and logical, except when he talked about demons. He most often would only act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. At that point, his stories became bizarre, fragmented, and illogical, and his stories altered with each rendition. The psychologist reported their findings back to Child Services, who then ended up meeting with LaToya. Child Services told LaToya that for her to get her children back, that not only she would have to attend therapy regularly, but that she was not to discuss demons and possessions in front of her children. LaToya was also required to find a job and a different house to live in. A few weeks later, on May 10, 2012, Child Services decided to do a second investigation. Child Services told Valerie, who was the original CPS worker, Hey Valerie, 
you need to go back to that supposed haunted home for a second investigation of the area. Valerie was like, uh, fuck that. I quit. She ended up quitting her job, moved away from the city, and sought therapy. That's how disturbed she was from that, that first time they investigated it. Damn. So Child Services was like, damn, that sucks. Let's assign a new caseworker to it. So they assigned a woman named Samantha. So Samantha LaToya, Rosa, the captain of the local police department, the Reverend Michael, and four other police officers all arrived at the home to start the second investigation. As Samantha entered the home, she said that she was drawn towards the basement. Once they went downstairs to the basement area, they noticed a strange liquid dripping. Samantha touched the strange substance and said that it felt slippery yet sticky between her fingers. So Samantha then went upstairs to the living room while the police officers and the reverends stayed in the basement. While standing in the living room, Samantha began to feel her pinky finger tingle. It then turned white and immediately started hurting as if it was broken. Less than 10 minutes later, Samantha had a panic attack. She couldn't breathe so she ran outside. The others downstairs were unaware of what was happening to Samantha. The reverend had asked the police officers to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram, personal cursed object, or something that could indicate a portal to hell was present there. How the hell would an officer know what a... Oh, look, we got a friggin' portal to hell. <laughs> oh, yeah. An officer dug a four-foot-by-three-foot hole and found a press-on fingernail a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. God damn, man, they ever clean out their basement? Shit. Anyways, the officers then decided to quit digging and placed the dirt back in the hole and raked over it. The reverend then blessed the house with some salt. He spread it throughout the basement and under the stairs. Around sunset, the captain left the home to attend to other matters, while the other four police officers remained. During the course of the night, the officers observed an oil-like substance on the blinds in one of the bedrooms. Unable to determine a source or figure out what the hell it was, they cleaned off the oil and sealed the room. 25 minutes later, they returned, and the oil was there again. The reverend spoke up and stated that the oil was proof of a demonic presence. Shortly after, the police, reverend, and everyone else left the home. That following day, the reverend put together a report and sent a letter to Bishop Dell, requesting permission to perform an exorcism on Latoya and her family. After reviewing the case, Bishop Dell denied the request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism. The reverend decided to go against the bishop and perform what he called was a minor exorcism. This minor exorcism was a full-blown one. It was the one that didn't require approval from the church, and he could do it over the internet. That following week, the reverend completed the minor exorcism of Latoya and her family over the internet. The ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. Two of the police officers from the second investigation and Samantha, the caseworker, attended the ritual. 
Damn, I wonder if they got like a like a place where you can go to on the internet that has like a a waiting line to view these internet exorcisms. Probably on the dark web. Oh, okay. So just a little knowledge nugget here. Uh, the day after witnessing this ritual, Samantha, aka the new caseworker, she got into a motorcycle crash and received third degree burns from it. A few weeks after that, she decided to go jet skiing and ended up crashing, breaking three ribs. And a short time after that, she broke her hand by simply placing it on a table. And then, just a day after that, she decided to run in flip-flops and broke her ankle. Damn. That sounds like some bad luck. Bad luck or she needs some milk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, uh, So back to the reverend. Now, after he did the minor ritual, he claimed that he had learned the name of the demons plaguing Latoya and her family. The name was Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a demon that is closely associated with the Canaanite god Baal. In predominantly Christian views, Beelzebub is another name for Satan himself. Beelzebub is also known as one of the seven princes of hell and is also known as Lord of the Flies. And it's weird that he's Lord of the Flies, seeing that their porch and their home would constantly get flies in it. Yeah. So now that the reverend knew the demon's name, he prepared another report. He again was requesting a full exorcism, but in person this time. And guess what? He was granted it. That following month, in June of 2012, the reverend and an assistant performed three exorcisms on LaToya and her family in the Merrillville Church. The first exorcism occurred on June 1st, followed by a second one on June 8th, and the final exorcism was on June 29th, 2012. Two police officers from the earlier investigations attended the first two exorcisms to assist the priest in case LaToya or any of her family members needed restraining. Since the final exorcism, LaToya has reported no demonic issues. Now, in November 2012, Child Services allowed LaToya to regain custody of her children. After supervision, the case was formally closed in February 2013. LaToya since has lived demon-free in Indianapolis, Indiana, works a full-time job, and the children continue to go to school. So since LaToya has left the home, Charles Reed, who is the landlord, has noted that there has been no issues. In January of 2014, Zach Baggins, you know, the dude who is on the TV show Ghost Adventures, you know, that dude who's got like the Papa Roach haircut and wears glasses. Oh, the guy that sends his buddy, what, I forgot his name, sends him into like all kinds of haunted places. Yeah, he sends like the camera guy into other places and he like just says, oh, that's insane. Okay, this is weird. And he doesn't do anything. He just, oh, it's weird. Okay, anyways, that dude, he decided to call up Charles because he heard about this story. And he told Charles, look, man, I want to purchase the home from you. And I'm going to purchase it over the phone. I'll give you $35,000 for it without even seeing it. Charles was like, "Eh, okay, home's yours. So he bought it. Damn. That following month, Zach began filming a documentary about the home. For the majority of 2014, Zach filmed the documentary titled 
the Demon House. They're at the home. The filming ended in January of 2015. During the filming, Zach claimed, and I quote, Something was inside that house that had the ability to do things that I have never seen before. Things that others carrying the highest forms of credibility couldn't explain either. There was something there that was very dark, yet highly intelligent and powerful. Now, on January 19th, 2016, before the documentary was released, Zach had the house demolished, stating that he didn't want anyone else affected by whatever was in that home. And that is the story of the Ammons haunting, a.k.a. the Demon House. Now, it doesn't end there because, of course, we have strange facts and findings. So, Dan, do you want to start it off for us and tell us about the first strange fact and finding? Of course. So our first strange fact and finding is what Zach Baggins reported while investigating the home. Now, I know some of you may be like, uh, Zach from Ghost Adventures, sing me a song. Really, he was probably just making it up to promote his documentary. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. You didn't make this shit up to promote his documentary. I mean, spent 35000 on the house. You want to make your money back at least. Yeah, exactly. But kind of find out some weird shit. Weird-ass shit really did happen while he was recording on the property. Yeah, it did. So let's talk about some of this weird stuff. The first thing that happened was the first week after Zach purchased the home, he ended up falling seriously ill for several days. Now, after that, when they started filming at the home, there was numerous technical difficulties and freak accidents experienced by the crew and several of the crew members ended up quitting in like the middle of the shoot. Now, there was something else that was very odd that occurred. Two other paranormal investigators, Mark and Deborah Costantino, heard that Zach had purchased a home. Zach was a friend of theirs, and Mark and Deborah had actually been featured on a few of Ghost Adventures episodes. Yeah, and Mark and Deborah were actually known for being able to contact and talk to spirits or demons. So whenever Mark and Deborah heard about Zach buying this house, they decided to try and use their powers and their EVP devices to contact the demon that was supposedly haunting this home. Less than an hour later, they had made contact with the demon that was haunting it. And according to them, it was a 8 to 10 foot goat-like demon that held extreme power. That's scary. Yeah. Isn't it a Baphomet? Don't you say his name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had two very scary dreams about that. All right. Deborah and Mark called Zach the following day and told him that they believed they had contacted the demon. They also stated that they had caught a recording of the demon talking through one of their devices. So Zach then tells them to be careful and they hang up the phone. Only a short time later, Deborah and Mark sent Zach a text message warning him to be careful dealing with this entity. A short time after that, both Mark and Deborah are killed in a murder-suicide. What happened was that Mark got his gun, shot Deborah in the head, and then turned the gun on himself. Damn. Which is extremely odd. 
Yeah, for them. Yeah. So weird. That's sad. All right. So let's go on to the next strange fact and finding. What do you got for us? All right. The next strange fact and finding we have is about the images that the police officers took. All right. So the, when they were initially in the home and they took the pictures of like the basement floor and, and all that other stuff. Yeah. The ones we thought that weren't released. Well, I did some digging and it sounds like that these cops, they took these photos. And when, after they left these, uh, they had like pictures of the two misty figures at the bottom of the stairs. Then they even had the pictures of the candle and crucifix under the stairs on the dirt. But when they went back to look at it, all the pictures that they took were gone and that the phones started messing up and they never behaved the same again. Odd. Yeah, so it's like something messed with their electronics while they were there or after they took the photos. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what I found, but it could be just they have the pictures hidden. Who knows? Yeah. All right, so let's go on to our next strange fact and finding. Which this one is about a thing called Axeman's House. So 11 miles away from Gary, Indiana, outside of Willowbrook, Illinois, there's a haunted bridge and a supposed haunted house. So the story is that in 1970, an axe-wielding man savagely murdered his wife and children. Now, when people from the town noticed the absence of his wife and children from coming to town, they ended up notifying the police. So two police officers were dispatched to the residence to do like a welfare check. Well, upon arriving, they were greeted by the husband who showed the two officers around. He was like, hey, nothing to see here. Suddenly, he pulled out his axe and ended up brutally murdering them as well. So he, he didn't have any of the graves dug yet to bury the bodies, of course. So he drugged the officers to his shed and hung up the dead bodies on meat hooks next to his decaying wife and children who were hung up as well. Now, hours later, more officers were dispatched to the area because they were like, hey, these two officers were dispatched there and they never returned the calls back and we don't know where they're, what's going on with them, so we need to go check on them. Well, when they went to go check on them, they found the shed and they found their bodies and were freaked out. The axe murderer fled the scene and uh, the police chased him and ended up uh, shooting him on the bridge and he died. So that's a strange fact and finding. You think maybe like that has some connection with uh, the haunted house. Maybe that spirit roams around whatever spirit that was haunting. The axe man yeah. went over there and started haunting the house. Just a thought. Good. All right. So what's this murder capital thing you have written down? So I'm trying to find like strange facts about, you know, Gary, Indiana or the Ammons house and all that. But as I was digging through, I decided to look a little bit more into, you know, of course, Gary, Indiana and stumbled upon the fact that, you know, Gary, Indiana definitely had a bad streak in the 90s. A bad streak. What do you mean a bad streak? Bad streak as in, you know, the manufacturing industry started to decline. Population started to decline. Like things went south industrial wise, like for jobs, jobs were being lost and all that stuff. Oh, okay. And by the mid 90s, Gary, Indiana had become a dangerous place to live. 
Uh-oh. Yeah, it was such a dangerous place that in 1994 through 1995, it actually made it to the top, becoming the murder capital of the world. By 1995, there was a population of 115,269 and over 3,000 reported crimes with 129 murders just in Gary, Indiana alone. Jesus. Yeah. Christ. But currently, it's not as bad as it used to be in the 90s, but it's still considered one of the most dangerous cities to be in. Hmm. No wonder Zach was able to buy that house for only $35,000. That's probably the most the guy's ever been offered. Yeah. As I was looking this up, I did find a story. Okay. It's just a little short story. This uh, guy said that he was driving, he was heading to uh, Chicago, and he ended up having the drive, like the GPS took him through Gary, Indiana. And as he was driving through and all that, you know, being a good driver, he stopped at a stop sign. But as he stopped, there was a cop behind him. And this cop was like slowly like creeping towards him in his vehicle, but didn't pay it really no mind. So he ended up going and he finally made it back to the highway out of, you know, Gary, Indiana. And this cop was still behind him and the cop pulled him over thinking like, what the hell did I do? And the cop, you know, gets out, comes to his window. He's just like, hey, man, are you lost? And the guy's just like, yeah, my GPS took me through that way and I kind of got lost. Wasn't sure where I was at. He's like, I'm heading up to Chicago. The officer's just like, yeah, I kind of noticed you were lost because no one stops at stop signs here. What? Yeah, he's like, you don't want to stop at these stop signs. You want to at least do a rolling stop or something like that. It's like stop for like a couple seconds and then go. You don't want to be caught stuck at one of these lights or stop signs. Well, because it'll get jacked or something? I'm guessing the crime was so bad there that this cop was warning him not to do that ever again. He's like, even we don't even like fully stop at the stop signs and lights. Damn, somebody needs to get control of that city. That's what I'm saying. It's plagued by criminals and ghosts and demons. Right? Damn. Well, that was a good strange fact I'm finding. Thank you for that, Dan. It's a little strange. You want to go to Gary, Indiana? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay. So, I did have a strange fact and finding that I didn't really write down, but I remember it. I was watching um, a video from LaToya's uncle. Oh. No, 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 LaToya's brother. So LaToya's brother stated that, like, whenever all of this shit was going down with his sister and, like, the, his nephews and nieces, that he had them come over and stay for a couple days. Well, his nephews and nieces were all over there and they were sitting down watching TV with his children, with their cousins, of course. He said the strangest thing happened that he's ever witnessed in his life. He said he watched his youngest nephew, the seven-year-old, have his eyes roll back in the back of his head and he started chanting something. And he said he couldn't understand what he was chanting. But when he stopped chanting, his nine-year-old brother picked up and started chanting the same thing. When he stopped, their, their 12-year-old sister picked up and started chanting whatever they were chanting, acting as if they were possessed, and it was jumping between them, going to each one, acting like that. And, and at that point, he was like, look, I, I had enough, and I told my sister, hey, you got to take your kids, get the hell out of here. I don't want whatever y'all got attached to y'all coming and spreading to me and my kids. Right. So that's when Latoya had to leave. 
Which, I mean, I don't really blame them. No. I'd be freaked out, too, if that shit happened. All right. Um, so what's this last strange fact of finding you got for us? I mean, it's not really a strange fact in finding. Well, not really a strange fact, but it is a finding. Okay. Cool knowledge nugget here. Because, you know, we all love some Michael Jackson. But did you know that the Jackson 5 were originally from Gary, Indiana? No, I didn't know that. Jackson 5 isn't like Michael Jackson? Yeah, and his brothers. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, just saw that little cool fact. Hold on, what year did Michael Jackson pass away? Michael Jackson. Speaking of that, I saw a really convincing TikTok that he's still alive. Uh, he's a master of disguise, by the way. Oh, yeah. Let's see, Mac, Michael Jackson's death. Oh, he died in 2009. This haunting happened in 2011. This f***ing Jackson is Michael Jackson. Hee <laughs> hee. <laughs> he's running around. <laughs> Come here, little kids. No, I'm just kidding. That's bad. Um, I'm going to throw you in the air. Whee. <laughs> you want to fly? Here you go. All right. So I guess let's, let's move to uh, theories. So what's this first theory that you got? All right. So this first theory is just, you know, only going off the police photo where the, they took a photo of a ghostly figure in the front of the house when they were walking out of it. Oh, yeah. We, I don't think we talked about that. Oh, we did? Oh. Yeah. Well, damn. So I'll just briefly describe it then. Supposedly after they took pictures inside, as they were walking out, they turned and looked back at the house and they saw like a figure standing in the front porch area behind the window looking at them. And they ended up taking a picture of it, which here, I will link it to you real quick. Yeah. So if you look at that picture, it's the middle window on the right. Oh, yeah, I see that on the right side. That looks like a skeleton that you hang up for Halloween. Yeah, so you could tell, like, you could see, like, the head and the body, kind of. Yeah. Well, just this photo, this was, this theory is based on just that, only concerning that, because I can't really explain the rest. But I found a thread talking about this photo, saying there was an app that you could use to add ghostly figures to images. So, the person showed the image that he worked on afterwards and he added the ghostly figures which i mean it kind of fits in looks like it oh damn he even added them to the side of the wall of the house yeah so do you think that the police purposely doctored this photo i mean it's possible and, and if that's the case why why would they do that to get more publicity into their town to boost revenue so they get more income either that or say like the other photos messed up and went missing so their claims of there being demons or like some ghostly figures in the house no one would believe them they'd just oh this these officers are just crazy just like this woman is and her family okay let's take a picture and add like a little ghostly figure and be like it was watching us as we left okay so part of it's part of it's made up you could say yeah. All right. Well, that's a good theory. Yeah, it's all right. All right. So this next theory we're going to talk about is just it's a plain Jane one. It's just about uh, mental illness. This theory goes along with what the doctors were thinking because of the children's behavior, that Latoya was suffering from a mental illness and it was affecting the children's behavior as well as encouraging them to act out, which led her to being reported to the child services for possible child abuse. Not to mention the neglect of the kids not going to school, which she had previously 
done that before in 2009. Yeah. Neglected to take the kids to school. They missed a lot of it, and she was charged with neglect. So this time around, she was like, yo, hey, I'm really not taking them to school because, hey, we're being possessed. And they were like, oh, yeah, we heard that before. Then, yeah, I mean, you can't really blame, well, they're just like, you can't really blame the demons being, like, possessing you because you did the same exact thing in 2009, and you didn't even live in this house. Yeah. So. Well, here's my thing. Let's say there was demons possessing the home and the children. Do you think the child services would even really care? They would act the same exact way as they did here. They would take the children away. Yeah. I don't think in this day and time, no matter how, quote unquote, woke this generation or whomever is, I don't think they're ever going to admit that, hey, hauntings or possessions are real. But that's just my personal opinion. I mean, it's probably not in the guidelines they have to follow. Yeah. So they just go by, follow whatever guidelines they have, and it doesn't involve paranormal. Yep, they have no procedure that states, in case of demonic possession, splash holy water, send the child here. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan, so what's this next theory we have? All right, so this next one, this one is about territorial spirits. So let's say this house was being attacked by a demon or demons, like, you know, how the two, what, uh, psychic said that there's like 200 demons. Yeah. So even though Latoya had an ex exorcism done on her and the house was supposedly cleansed multiple times, the evil spirits or demons did not leave this house. So a lot of people, psychics, clairvoyants, whatever, they believe this wasn't just a normal possession, but this was a work of a territorial spirit. Now, I had never heard of territorial spirits. Neither have I. So I, I decided to look it up and it's, it's more of like a recent thing. I mean, probably a couple years, maybe a decade. I don't know. But this territorial spirits are certain demonic spirits that have responsibility over, you know, pretty much specific areas that they're assigned. And this is based off of some passages that mention evil spirits operating in targeted regions within the Bible. And for like an example, Daniel 1013. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. I'll be straight up, I don't understand that. <laughs> okay. But they believe this to mean that one or more spirits had their focus on the area of Persia, which there's a couple more examples of this, but you get the gist of it. So they believe this house was part of a demon's territory and didn't stop until, you know, Latoya's family moved out and everything. And, of course, when Zach Baggins went there, it was still there. You in demon's territory. That's right. Dude, and I kind of, like, get it, because you think, 1994, 1995, Gary, Indiana became murder capital, man. Yeah. All the crimes and all the stuff. I mean, what else would demons do? Hmm. Now, before I go into theorizing and get my personal opinion, I'm going to talk about this last theory. And this one may seem a little out there, but I just had to mention it. All right, so do you remember in the story when the kids would be, like, randomly picked up and thrown across the room? Yeah, and the, across the room, across the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the girl levitated. To hear me out, what if this was, like, the military or some government agency or some corporation that was testing a camouflage ability of some sort? So have you seen those videos of... 
I saw one the other day of like a tank, right? And then this soldier runs across the screen and then disappears, or he just randomly reappears and then keeps going. And they're saying that some corporations or governments or whatever have the ability of this cloaking device, some device that allows the soldiers or vehicles to completely disappear, but still be in the area, right? So what if this was the military and they had this cloaking device and they were like, let's see how good it really is. And let's go into this home and throw around a couple of these kids, you know, let's make them levitate. Let's have some fun with it. Just a possibility, man. I know it's a way out there theory, but I could not mention it. I mean, all right. So I could kind of see that just for the fact that, like I was saying, like the industrial area declined. So there's multiple abandoned buildings that someone could literally easily build a laboratory in or testing grounds inside of it. You know, like you said, like what if they did test some, like make something like that and their one of their test sites is at Gary, Indiana, in one of those buildings that no one knows about. Yep. So, I mean, it's a possibility. Possibility, man. Strange. I like that, though. All right. So if you had to pick one explanation as to what this is, what is your whole personal theory, your whole thoughts behind all of this? Mm, I'm actually liking the territorial spirits. Just for the fact that. Okay. Something was going on. Not sure what they, you know, electronics were messing up. Kids walking up walls backwards, doing, doing flips and everyone just acting like it was normal, except, you know, the nurses and doctors. Kids flying around, being thrown around, levitating, like the oil from the wall. So it's like the walls were bleeding some kind of oil. I don't know. It just, it's all too weird to be, not to be something. And then of course, you know, you have the images of the spirits, even though like we don't actually have them, like the ones on the stairs, because they were, they were either still classified or they were, the phones got messed up. So we don't have the photos. but. The police officers swear they saw, you know, a spirit on the right and then the one on the left, white, like a white one and a green one. So obviously something's there. Something's messing with it. It's messing with the family there, possessed the house or something. Yeah. So I, I believe it might be a territorial spirit because. Okay. You know, they even though like the kids did go off to like uh, Christian Haven and all that, they, the seven year old still acted kind of like a little demon, you know, when he was asked about demons and stuff. But, you know, it's most like mostly based on this house. And like if it's 200 demons there, maybe this is like a spawning ground form or no, like a portal, a portal to hell. Okay. All right. So that's where all the demons come up from. And the one demon in charge is living in that house rent free. <laughs> Damn it. I hate them commie demons. Right. All right. I can dig that, Dan. What do you think? Oh, man. Um, I, I want to believe that there's demons there. I, I want to. The only thing that is like really keeping me on the hook for the demons thing is the amount of individuals that have something happen to them after they leave the house or while they're in the house. Oh, yeah. Now. I say that that might be, and eh, that might be like some coincidence mixed with a little bit of like paranoia. So this is what I think. So let's talk about Latoya. All right. 
single mom, three children, and has her mother living with her. Okay? She didn't work a full-time job because, if you remember, one of the things that the CPS or the child services required for her to do was to get a full-time job, which tells me she didn't have a full-time job because she stated she didn't have much money because she couldn't move away from the house when the psychics told her, hey, you need to move away. She's like, I don't have any money. I can't move away. So that tells me she was behind on rent. What if she made all this shit up and had the children go along with it so they just had a place to live? But then that wouldn't explain them moving out whenever these hauntings would occur. But then again, maybe it was a motive for her to make this shit up, get it as popular as she could, so she could make like a book deal or a movie deal off of it and make money. I don't know. I'm just brainstorming here. Okay, I can roll off of that. Saying this house is possessed, shit's happening, gets child protective services in it, then probably the you know main health department gets involved. Maybe considering she didn't have much money and the area is pretty much like very dangerous. Maybe she was looking for like assisted living or like assisted help to get moved somewhere else to where she could start over at least. Yeah. Because, you know, not having much money, trying to find somewhere else to stay, it's not going to happen. No. But having some help to where they relocate you somewhere so you can actually get a job, start and all that. Probably. Yeah. Now, another thing that did cross my mind was the landlord. Now, I had a creepy landlord in the past, and I wouldn't put it past landlords to not all landlords in general, but for maybe one to like set up a recording device, because that's what my old landlord was convicted of that I did not know about until I left that, hey, he was caught setting up recording devices. I'm like, damn, dude, you saw me wank it like five million times in my bathroom. (laughs) while I lived there. (laughs) So anyways. He's at it again. What the hell? What if this landlord was the cause of all this? The wet boots, the walking on the stairs. Maybe he was the one coming at night walking up the stairs. Now this is not me accusing him of doing anything like that. This is me speculating. Hmm. Anyways, that's just a thought. You know, the wet boot prints on the floor, the door being locked and then unopened and then opened up. And then the figures that the mother, the grandmother seen, and then everybody else seen. Maybe there was like an alternate entry into that house that nobody was aware of, except the landlord. I mean, it's possible. Because usually, well, I can't say usually. Some basements like that and houses like that, they'd probably have like an outside entrance. Ooh, what about this? What about this theory? Latoya was behind on payments. The hauntings didn't start until the next month after she moved in. Charles, the landlord, realized she ain't going to be paying rent because she already missed her first payment. What if he's had issues with tenants in the past paying rent? So he's like, the best way to get them out is to act like this place is haunted. So he's the one behind all this. So it wouldn't be him kicking them out. It would be these tenants actually closing out. Leaving on their own rather than being squatters on the property. I wonder if in the contract he has, like, early termination fees. I don't know. You don't, you don't get your deposit back now. But regardless, I think the whole situation is odd, especially the child walking up the wall. That's another thing that I'm just like, how did that happen? That is extremely weird. All right, so I was thinking about that, and I remember me playing with my nephews, and the one thing they really like to do is, like, say if I'm holding their hands, like, both their hands, 
they'll actually start walking up my legs, up my chest, and then flip. Now, only reason I started thinking that is because the, was it the nine-year-old boy that flipped? Or was it seven-year-old? It's one of them. He was still holding on to the grandma's hands when he did that. Is it possible that the grandma was holding him and, you know, as he was going up the wall, she's pressing up against his hands, so it's kind of like helping him stay up? She's got that granny strength, right? She didn't even have to, like, really put too much strength into it. Just, you know, balance him up there as he's walking up, and then when he flips over, you know, he's done, because he got a tie and he flipped over, because if not, he was going to fall. Yeah. I was thinking that, because I'm just like, it could be possible, because, you know, kids walking up the walls and flipping and shit, you know, holding their hands and all that. It's possible. Yeah, it is possible. Backwards is pretty talented, but still. Yeah. Well, kids do some crazy ass shit, you know? The, and speaking of crazy ass shit, this whole entire story is just crazy and interesting. And I'm glad we did it this week. It really is. Start of October, starting to get into haunted stuff, scary, spooky. So, yeah, um, speaking of that, get your ghost stories in uh, and please make it a couple minutes to read. If you're going to submit something for us to read, please make it two to three minutes to read, not like five pages. Um, and if you're going to submit an audio clip, make it less than two minutes. Yeah, we can read fast sometimes, but not that fast. Yeah. All right. So you got anything else you want to add to today's episode? Honestly, no. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoyed it. It was a good one. Dude, it was a, definitely a good one. Yeah. I don't think I'll be going to Gary, Indiana anytime soon. Not because it's just demons, but you know. No. Stop signs. <laughs> oh, hey, there was something else. People were saying that individuals were still going to the site where the house was at. Even though it was demolished, they're going to that land and like doing rituals to try to summon whatever was there. <laughs> oh, man. We need to go there with a uh, Ouija board. Aaron, you are fucking <laughs> All right. Um, so that's the end of the episode today. I want to thank you for joining us. Since Hans is out today with the COVIDs, he seriously has COVID. He looks terrible and I feel bad. Yeah. And I hope he makes it through this. Um, God, that's horrible to say. Uh, I, we're going to skip on the scene and push it to next week. Cause I don't think it's fair listening to it without him here. No, he's the original on the scene guy. Yeah, so we're moving the on the scene, this week's on the scene, to next week when Hans is back. Um, so I guess we'll just roll into shout-outs real quick. I did want to give a couple shout-outs on Instagram. Not that many, just a couple. Let's see. I wanted to shout-out Guaco19K. He was like, hey, man, when are we getting some TOT3K sweatbands for gym time at Planet Fitness? You know, that's actually not a bad idea. Dude, I want a sweatband. Yeah. I want to shout out Lisa J, Katie Marie123, Tanya Dahl, Allie Lynn, uh, Beefalo Slim, Barbells and Braids, The Agago Yogi, DJ Zalzi, DJ Zalzi, Zalzi, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Sunflower Love 21, Romic 87, Starseed Awakening, Clutch Perez's TV, Zazozilin, sorry I pronounced your name wrong, uh, Pope Quan Paul, Spacely Sprocket, The Butler 65, I still love you and I'm so proud of you, 
Annie the Impaler, It's Jadim, Katie in Texas, Amber Tran 1, Mrs. Outlaw Welding, JF Gonzalez, and Tumadre28. I love you all. All right, Dan, what shout outs you got for us? So shout out to Bobby Caster, Connor Bolin. Uh, shout out to Sonny J. I know you said don't have to, but shouting you out anyways. Stephen French and then Brandon Brugeman. Brugeman. And that's it. Oh, damn. Well, that's not a real long one. Oh, I do have a shout out. Lissa. Her package finally came in. Antosh. Lissa sent me uh, a nice Bigfoot t-shirt and some some candies. Then she sent me a coaster. Boom. You're getting all the packages and I don't get shit. They love me. I see how it is, listeners. I see how it is. Now, if you do want to send Aaron and Han stuff, they don't have a P.O. box yet. But if you let us know that you're sending it and that it goes to them and send it to the P.O. box, as soon as I get it, I will send it right back out to them. Yeah, so what Dan does is he'll get the packages and then he'll make sure there's no bomb inside of them and then he'll send them to us. Yeah, I don't want to pull no Ted Kaczynski shit. Yeah, so he forwards it straight to us. Yeah, so whatever it is, no matter what it is, if it's butthole pictures, you know, dragon dildos that you want to send to Aaron and Hans, ship it. Oh my God. I'll slap a sticker on and boom, send it off. All right. Well, do you have anything interesting that happened that you want to share with the community before we roll out this episode? Mm, No. No. I don't do anything fun lately. Not lately, anyways. Mm. Yeah, me neither. I'm pretty boring. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for the support. You are amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.